Hello, everyone. Welcome back to this week's Cedarville Stories podcast. I'm Mark Weinstein, and it's great to have you listening again today. Thanks for being a faithful listener. My guest is Kevin Howells, the lead advancement officer for Good News Ministry based in Virginia, which is a great ministry that serves individuals who are incarcerated through the work of chaplains throughout the world. Prior to Kevin taking this role in 2021, he was a key advancement leader at Cedarville University. And before that, he worked in the ministry of Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. Kevin and his wife, Vanessa, have one daughter, Mia, who is in high school, but is currently looking at various colleges that she might attend. I sure hope she follows in her dad's footsteps and selects Cedarville University. I've known Kevin for several years as a colleague and a friend, and it's my pleasure to welcome him to this week's Cedarville Stories podcast. Welcome, Kevin. Great to see you. Thank you, Mark. It is great to be here. So I know uh, you've recently been traveling. You just returned from a business and family trip because I called you yesterday and you were boarding an airplane. I'm curious, what city were you in when you took my call? Yeah, so we were. We had just landed and we're just about to take off again from Seattle. Okay, so was Seattle your vacation spot or where were you vacationing as well? Yeah, no, a little bit further out than that. So we were actually in Hawaii. Oh, that's a tough... So was that purely vacation or was that also some business calls? Yeah. So it was a business trip, which, you know, tough business assignment, which I willingly took and took my family with me. How long were you in Hawaii? Where where in Hawaii were you? Yeah. So we were in Hawaii for about eight days. Oh, nice. Most of the time was uh, on Oahu, mainly in Honolulu area. And then we spent one day on the big island. Okay. So any big uh, memories from your trip or any big sightseeing opportunities that you had, or was it all business? No, it was a mixture of both. So some of the great memories were we spent a um, better part of a morning, better part of a day at Pearl Harbor. That's oh. just sobering and moving, especially when I've seen the pictures and different footage over the years. But to yeah. actually be there was pretty moving. As I was preparing for today's program, you know, I did. I, obviously, I know you from you working here at Cedarville, but you're not here anymore. You you are the lead advancement officer for Good News Ministry. That's uh, based in Virginia. What are your responsibilities as the lead advancement officer? Yeah, so my responsibilities with the organization are overseeing the advancement work that we do kind of from coast to coast. We have a number of different chaplains and other representatives that connect with our donors and partners, but to oversee the the relationships with our donors. So is it relationship building? Is it fundraising? Or is it all combined? It's both, right? Fundraising, but fundraising really comes out of relationships. It does. So what's the purpose of Good News Ministry? Yeah, so kind of our specialty and really what we specialize is placing and equipping chaplains to go into prisons and jails to meet the spiritual needs of inmates. And we do that around the world. How many chaplains do you have? Yeah, so we've got about 250 collectively. There's about 75 here in the United States and about another 185 overseas. And knowing that you are working for an organization that aligns with your personal mission, uh, does that make it easier, one, to develop relationships that then, that can ultimately lead to fundraising opportunities? Yeah, I think, so for me, what that ignites is a passion. So I'm passionate to see the gospel impact and transform lives. And I love seeing that in the jail and prison space, to see how the gospel takes root in the life of an inmate, whatever their background is, yeah. and to see that transformation take place. Yeah. So then I get to share those stories and those experiences with our donors. And so I think it kind of ignites a 
natural passion to get excited about that. Yeah. So, you know, not not to name names or anything, but have you seen a story or two in your time with Good News Ministry that really inspires you and maybe even helps you get out of bed uh, in the morning? Yeah, so there's two that come to mind. One is a, one of our current chaplains. So we have a number of chaplains that have served time before, but this chaplain in particular is Van, and he was probably 20 years old, sophomore in college, kind of a, a drug deal gone bad. He yeah. was just driving the vehicle, but what happened was kind of he was just as guilty as the person with the firearm. Served time in jail, but that's where he got connected to via a chaplain of really accepting Christ and beginning a meaningful relationship with him. You fast forward 10 years later, he got his uh, degree in Bible. He's now serving as a chaplain, kind of ministering to those yeah. where he once was. And then another- so he, can, so he can really relate to the people who are behind bars. 100%. And he loves to tell the story. So he'll be talking with an inmate there and they're like, chaplain, chaplain, you don't understand. He says, oh, I understand. I was there before. How long was he in, in jail or prison? He was there for about six or seven years. Wow. That's a sobering place. Especially when you're 20 and he was being offered, his attorney advised him to take the plea bargain deal that would be for 20 years. And he's just processing that going, I'm not even 20 years old yet. That would be my second lifetime behind yeah. bars. So he, he got sentenced for 20 years, but served six? He did not accept that plea bargain deal. He let it kind of go through there. I forget what the sentence was. It was less than that. But he served six, five or six years and then was, was uh, paroled. That's a great story. What's the other story? The other story is, uh, so there's a group of just committed believers that are in the Lyman, Colorado State um, Penitentiary there uh, that are actually enrolled in seminary. So I was out there met them through via our chaplain that is there, just kind of chit-chatting with them like you would a person that you're just meeting for the first time in the foyer of a church, yeah. getting to know them. And the bubble over my head is like, this is a really engaging conversation of getting to know them. The other bubble over my head was, he just shared with me that his sentence was a double life sentence. Really? What in the world did he do, right? Because you can't ask that question directly. But then further on in the conversation... He's excited to get his seminary degree, which he's earning in prison there, to be able to minister to other inmates. And he said, I find great contentment in that. That's amazing to, to find contentment in a very dark place. A double life sentence. Correct. Do you know, if, is he taking what he's learning and is transforming his transformed life to share with other inmates? He is. And this is the great thing about what's happening there in Colorado. So very missional in nature. It's a partnership with the seminary and also the state of Colorado. So inmates from around the state applied to this seminary because there was only 25 spots that were available. So the state moved them to this facility. But here's the best part of it. And it's kind of an ironic thing. They had to have at least 10 years left on their sentence because the purpose of, of it was a season of training for a lifetime of ministry. So they're going to redeploy these inmates after they earn their degree into the seminaries around the state yeah. to be peer ministers. Oh, that's great. That's awesome. That's absolutely great. So I've been in higher education 30 plus years. A lot of it has been in the area of uh, institutional advancement, which is where you have been. That's where PR has typically been, uh, not at Cedarville. But because of that, I've heard many people say, they feel really uncomfortable asking others for money. 
That's your job. What's your secret? <laughs> I don't know if it's a secret, but there's a real, I guess I just have a comfortability of talking about what I'm excited about. And really the work of this is I'm not prying money out of anybody's hands. No. No advancement officer is, right? No no good advancement officer is. Well said. It It's really sharing the vision of what's taking place inside of the organization, inviting them to be a part of it. And then seeing God work through their gift, right? Because their their gift is part of the ministry and part of what's going on as much as the participants. So we we like to say with with those that support Good News uh, Jail and Prison Ministries, they're really coming with us into the jail, right? When we see the effects of what the gospel's taking place, it's because they gave. Yeah, and that's something exciting to share. And is it difficult to get people to support a jail ministry like what's happening at Good News? So I don't think it's difficult. I think the the challenge, right, is just getting the word out, building the relationships with people that would be interested and concerned about those that are the least of these, yeah. especially in their local area. Yeah. The beauty is, right, Matthew 25 directs us to have a heart towards this. Yeah. So we're not conjuring up something that doesn't really come from the heart of God initially. How long have you been with Good News? Coming up on two years. Two years. And before that, you were here at Cedarville for, I was. How, for how long? Yeah, I was here for a little over three years. Doing the same kind of work. I was. Okay. Yep. So you've been in fundraising. You've been in higher education. You've had to have the opportunity to come alongside some mentors in your life. Who have been some of these uh, leaders who have helped shape you to who you are, not just as a fundraiser and advancement guy, but as a, as a follower of Christ? Yeah, that's a great question. So when I think back... I'm really thankful that I think at every season of life, I had a mentor or someone that was impacting my life holistically, not just in a a job or kind of a career track sort of thing. So the names that come to mind, so when I was at at Moody, my boss, Barbara Goodwin, was a great mentor. She had... She was the vice president. She oversaw that area. Part of the beauty of her story was she actually became a follower of Christ through the ministry of the bookstores and a Bible that she purchased. Wow. But she was just helpful in all areas of leadership, growth, personal, all that sort of thing. Uh, Dennis Shear, who served as the senior vice president, uh, was a mentor just in how he led and led very well and was very principle-based in his leadership. And I even think at Cedarville of the colleagues that I had that I worked with of Nancy Voorhees, Jeff yeah. Bestie, Roscoe Smith, Bobby Camilleri. There's just a lot of people that I was privileged to work alongside and they impacted me in great ways. Have you been able to take that model to, or intentionally try to impact other people's lives? Yeah, I hope I have. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you Maybe have, that's a tough question to ask. <laughs> ask those that are around me, right? But right. I do think of those that just... It's taking the time to go beyond maybe the question that's asked of what's going on beyond there. Or, you know, sometimes now we're in a lot more of a Zoom world, even after uh, COVID, where we're still in a lot of Zoom calls. And sometimes something's shared on that meeting. It's not appropriate for the group that's gathered to ask a little bit more, you know, but it's sending a text or calling them afterwards to find out a little bit more about that. And also taking the time to explain the why behind some of the things that we do. Yeah. I know in my experiences with you, my time with you three years or so, you've been an encouragement to me by just seeming interested in in my life, my story, what I do. So you've done that to me. I can honestly say that uh, firsthand. So thank you for being a positive impact in my life. As I mentioned in, in, in the introduction, you graduated from Cedarville. After you graduated, you moved to Chicago, where you actually lived there for 
nearly 30 years, uh, you worked as a small group pastor, you worked in urban ministry, and you worked at Moody. How were those experiences influential in your development as an advancement officer, as a husband, as a follower of Christ, and ultimately developing relationships with people and donors? I think as I look back, the rearview mirror always gives a better view Much of better. things. That's right. More than the the front windshield, right? So I think starting out, I realized like God's hand was on me and on career choices every step of the way. And even though it probably wasn't intentional, just as a young grad finishing up here at Cedarville, I've always been in the place where working in, in Christian organizations, Christian ministry, advancing the gospel in some form or fashion after another. So um, in answer to that question, I, I think that's been really, really pivotal of what I've been privileged to do. So it really doesn't matter what you do. It's really your focus is advancing the gospel. It, it is, but also I think relationships. And so there were some different people, and sometimes you learn from some, you know, I had some bosses along the way that weren't real good in relationships. And so right. you kind of take note of like, ouch, that kind of hurts that that yeah. That response or seeing, observing whatever situation that's there. So you kind of take a mental note. But I also had the privilege of being in, in places where you really learn relationships matter. And I think the older I get, you know, I'd love to rewind and kind of do some things better in the areas of relationships. But you, you realize like that's what's going to last for eternity. So I remember sitting in a chapel um, when I was a student here at Cedarville and I think it was Margaret Wheeler was on the stage. There was a panel discussion and conversation, but she leaned forward and she said, you know, my husband and I realized a long time ago we were going to focus on two things. So as a college student, you kind of lean forward, you get ready to take notes on that. And she said, we realized we were going to focus on people and the word of God. Those are the two things that last for eternity. So I think somehow that got tucked in the back of my mind and while it might not always be like in the front of my mind and the filter as probably should be the filter, it has been an important filter of those are the two things that are going to matter and focus on those things. And obviously people relationships are key. Yeah. And I haven't always believed that or learned that, but I know in the second or third phase of my life, people relationships and the word of God is all that matters. In fact, I I was talking to a group of people in Dayton uh, a couple months ago, and and that was the essence of my my presentation, that people are, and having relationships with people is what makes my job in PR all that much more enjoyable. And it has to be the same for you, because you're always meeting people in all different kinds of situations that that you you see them, right? Yeah, 100%. So what I love, too, is the older you get, you realize the connectivity of relationships through the years, through the decades, from your family, from your upbringing. So a great story about that is when I was uh, at Cedarville, an advancement officer, was sitting down with this couple and getting to know them, right? So I knew their address. We met up at a restaurant, asked them about their story. So he started to share how he and his wife met, and it was a great story. It was she w- he was a longer-term missionary, and she was short-term, or one or the other, right? So yeah. they met on the mission field, brief period of time. He started to go into the story, and I was like, oh, my goodness. Did you guys share your story at a Cedarville chapel in the late 80s? No way. I totally remember the story because it was a very brief uh, dating at best, right? It was a very brief time between when they met to when he proposed and when they got married, right? And so in a college setting, that was a lot of 
talk about it. So I've met with, you know, it's fun, right? 30 years later, you're connecting with them and stuff. Dynamite couple, their sons came to Cedarville. It's powerful. Your career at Moody began uh, in its bookstores, I believe. Is that correct? It is, yep. What kind of work did you do there? Yeah, so kind of backing up before that. So I grew up, my parents owned a couple of Christian bookstores in West Michigan. So it was kind of the family business. I loved working there. So in high school, well, even before high school, but I think I got started to get paid in high school. Uh, And then in college, that was my summer job, worked there over breaks, loved it. And so it's kind of ironic coming out of Cedarville. I worked at Moody Magazine for a couple of years. And then Barbara Goodwin that I mentioned, uh, she reached out because there was an opening at the campus bookstore, right on the campus of Moody Bible Institute. And she knew of my background and wanted to talk to me. Would I be interested? And I got to tell you, Mark, I still remember the restaurant in Chicago that we were at. She kind of cast this incredible vision of where the store was and where it could be. And I thought, why am I totally intrigued with this? Because retail is hard work. It is. I knew it firsthand. I'm like, do I really want that kind of uh, work? But I'm like, it was pretty enticing of the vision and the impact, especially in an urban setting, of what a store could have. So what was your role? Yeah, so I started there as the manager of that store. Wow. That's that's a lot of pressure, responsibility. How old were you then? It was so I was 25. Okay. So it was it was a lot of people responsibility. It was a lot of, you know, the inventory, the logistics, all of that sort of thing. Moody does a lot of conferences, so there's yeah. just crazy hours, a lot of public events. We hosted a lot of authors and artists, so who did you rub shoulders with? Who did you meet? This, again, for the kid that grew up in the Christian bookstore in a smaller market where, in West wh- Michigan. And where in West Michigan? Battle Creek and Kalamazoo. Okay. Right? So I would see in the trade journals, you know, pictures of book signings uh, or an artist stopping by, right? But that didn't happen in our stores. But in some ways, it was like the bestseller list kind of came through the store at one time or another. Right. Whether they were partnering with the radio and being interviewed on the radio or... They had a new project that was out, and we obviously had a pretty good audience. The other wonderful thing um, of being at Moody and being in an urban environment was the diversity. Sure. So we could have literally within a week or a couple weeks' time, Steve Green could be there for a concert and a signing of his cassettes and CDs, cassettes back then. Wow. And then the next week, it could be the Gospel Gangsters, right? Or Mm -hmm. it could be Kirk Franklin. So you're just moving through incredible genres of music and different types of authors as well. Hmm. So staying with the Moody theme, one person from your career with Moody Bible Institute, his name is Mark Elvstrand. In fact, we both know him. And he's a former anchor uh, for WMBI Radio, the flagship station for Moody Bible Institute. And he told me that you are one of the most creative persons he's worked with in his career. Can you speak to this creativity and how the Lord has cultivated this gift within you? Well, it's quite a compliment coming from him because Mark's a, he's one of the best professionals on air I've ever worked with. And so, he's an entrepreneur. A totally, on total entrepreneur and a creative thinker himself. Absolutely. So, you know, coming from him, that's quite a compliment. So I, I think I'm a little bit shy of that level of, of words, but I don't, for whatever reason, I, I've always had a little bit of a creative side to me. And I also like to see things happen. Like, wow. Yeah. You connect these dots, this is what could happen. So one of those things with Mark, Mark's very entrepreneurial, right. very creative, 
And we just got to started thinking and it was, he was very new. So I'd been in Chicago and at Moody five, six, seven years. And then he was brought in as the morning program was just about to explode in a good way. Right. It was really reaching a, a broader audience. Someone of his caliber was going to kind of take it uh, to that level in a great way. And so um, we started talking about why wouldn't it be great of for an audience, right? Connect the listening audience with some of the retail opportunities that are there. So he started sharing some different opportunities like breakfast with, or what about uh, connecting listeners with some, we call them promo packs. And then they turned into life enrichment collections was kind of a better name for it. But so it was fun. We would have breakfast and get this in Chicago, downtown. Sometimes they'd start at 6.30 in the morning, but it would be the launch of Michael W. Smith's Worship Project, right? Wow. Or Fernando Ortega or whatever. So that was just a creative way to kind of see that come together. But I loved working with him because he he kind of brought energy to that conversation right. to see it to fruition, yeah. right? And huh. it takes a lot because that's... Yeah. Early morning, there were a lot of logistics planning. Yeah. But that, that's something I've always loved to kind of take yeah. that creative spark and how do you see it to reality? Yeah. I, I had the pleasure of working with Mark in Pittsburgh before he moved to Chicago. One of the examples that he shared with me about your creativity was a, a campaign, I guess. Uh, maybe it was around Christmas, where you used bears in a package to encourage people to bear good tidings or bear witness of the gospel. Do you remember this initiative? I do. So that was tied to one of our life enrichment collections. And I think you're right. I think it was around the Christmas season. And so it was fun because it had the the WMBI logo sure. tattooed on the bear's foot or on the chest or whatever, and bear good things. And then kind of talking with him, and Mark's a creative thinker as well about how to advance the gospel. He just started planting the idea, this would be a great thing for for listeners as they got this, because it was packaged with some other, I forget what was releasing at sure. the time. But this would be a great way to like put this in your office, put this on your bookshelf, put this on your cubicle, because it's going to naturally engender a question from one of your coworkers, right? Yeah. Publicly, privately, whatever it is, right? And it was kind of fun after the words to, to hear listeners say, you know, put that on my desk. Coworker came over. And started to ask me some questions. What What's behind that? What does that mean? So it gave him some good ministry opportunities. It's like the gospel because we get all these experiences and we just have to share a little bit of it to prompt someone to really ask a question that can lead us to a deeper conversation. A hundred percent, right? It's about being a light, a light in the darkness. Yeah. And sometimes too, it's those smaller things that we do that invite a person to come later maybe privately, maybe there's a struggle in their life, right? Right. At the moment that they wouldn't have come to you, but they kind of had a life situation take place. And they're like, who's the person they're going to go to? Right. Hopefully it's the follower of Christ. Absolutely. And absolutely. So today you don't live in Chicago. You've said goodbye to that city. You live in (laughs) Southwest Ohio. Yep. So although you probably don't miss the Chicago weather (laughs) and definitely the traffic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what is it about Chicago that you may miss today? Yeah, so certainly the friendships, right? So both my wife and I, my wife's a lifelong Chicagoan. Uh, I was there almost 30 years. So just rich and deep friendships that we have with had from neighbors and small groups and all that sort of thing. So that's hard to leave because it takes time to build new friendships. Yep. Um, really miss the, the city offers a great diversity yep. in food and neighborhood, ethnicities, so really miss having all of that uh, diversity. 
And there's just great, you know, the museums, the cultural pieces sure. are fabulous. Yeah. So now you left Chicago to, to return to your, your alma mater, Cedarville University, mm-hmm. so that you could develop relationships with donors or prospective donors for Cedarville University, which ultimately right now we're in a $175 million campaign, which you were a big part of. Just working on such a large campaign, like $175 million, excite you or cause you a little bit of fear? Well, it's a little bit of both. It could be both, right. Yeah, and it probably should do a little bit of both. So when I was interviewing for the role here, was just in the early phases, and that wasn't even like public yet of the campaign. There was the groundwork that was taking place. And that was one of the questions I was asking some of the people that potentially would be my colleagues, you know, what's kind of one of those things that just make you gulp? Yeah. And each person said the campaign, right? Because that's such a huge number, and obviously— God's been very good and the generosity of donors to see where it's at and Lord willing where it'll finish. Right. It's incredible. Let me go back a little bit or fast forward a little bit to where you are today. So you're with Good News Ministry. I'm aware because you you shared it with me uh, that you experienced a very exciting, maybe surprising donation uh, this year or the past six months or so. That's when Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin uh, donated a quarter of his salary to Good News Ministry. How did that gift come to be? And how has that gift been used? So that's a great question and a great story because this was a gift clearly not on our radar at all, right? So we don't have governors giving part of their salary as part of our fiscal plan for this year or next year. So it really kind of started with, we got a call from uh, the assistant to the governor's office, uh, connecting to my boss, the president of uh, Good News, explaining who they were and just saying, hey, the governor and his wife are, I don't think they said they're committed believers, but they are. So the governor and his wife are very committed to everybody getting a second chance. Mm. And part of what he committed to going into office was giving away his salary. And he does that on a quarterly basis. And we would like the first quarter of this year to go to good news, right? So you're just like, oh, that's a pretty Thank generous you. gift. Right. Yeah. Thank you. And then you're just like, you start wondering in the back of your mind, like, what's the connecting point, right? So to this day, we're not exactly sure who made the connection. They go to a great church in Virginia, just outside of the D.C. area, that's been very faithful to support uh, good news. And we've had a number of volunteers. So maybe it was that. We have a number of chaplains. I think there's eight or nine throughout the state of Virginia. So maybe it's just having a presence throughout that state. But what's great is that gift is going to not only encourage, but allow the work of the ministry of having chaplains inside of a jail, meeting the spiritual needs of inmates with Christ, right? Presenting Christ right. Uh, to those inmates. It's going to allow it to continue, right. which is awesome. Yeah, absolutely. So speaking of continuing, has that relationship with the governor been able to continue? Because you don't want it just to stop with one gift. You you want to bring him along, right? Not yeah. just for fundraising, but just for relationship building. Exactly. Uh, he and his wife couldn't have been any more warmer and friendly to us. So, in fact, they reached out to us because the the weekend of Father's Day, uh, the governor's wife hosted uh, formerly right. incarcerated men for Father's Day right. and their children to come to the uh, to the governor's mansion for a meal which was great. So we went uh, and were there, but also one of our chaplains went 
who was formerly incarcerated, but he was explaining right. to his his daughter who he brought with him. And his daughter was about four um, on there. So he was explaining the first time that he was there when they were doing the the ceremony of the check getting signed over and stuff like that. And so he was saying, well, honey, daddy's going to meet the governor today. Four-year-old's thinking, governor, what's that? Well, he's the person that's responsible for taking care of everybody in the state of Virginia. And so she looks that up and at him and smiles and said, oh, so he's like the daddy for Virginia. <laughs> <laughs> Very simply said. Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. Oh, that's neat. Kevin, our, our, our time is rapidly winding away. But in our final moments, I want to shift the conversation to a topic that's near and dear to your heart and Vanessa's heart, and that's adoption, because you've adopted Mia, who's now a teenager. When did the three of you officially become a family? It was in uh, July of 2010. Is when we adopted Mia. How old is Mia? Uh, She was three and a half. Okay, so she's sixteen. So she's she should be starting to look for colleges, right? Yep. yep. Okay, just make sure one's on the radar. Oh, one is. Yep. Okay, where is Mia originally from, and what was the adoption process like for you guys? Yeah, so uh, her birth country was Kazakhstan, so that's where she was from. So you know, our process probably like everybody with an adoption journey, it's a long journey, and I often describe it's like getting on a roller coaster, right? So there's a few clicks uphill that seem great, and then twists and turns all along the way. So um, we talked about adopting while we were dating, kind of what our future might be, and would we both, were we, and we were both very interested in adoption. And then when we started the process, we actually chose Kazakhstan because it was a faster country, uh, so to speak, of the adoption process, which it wasn't fast, <laughs> but uh, start to finish, it was about a 26-month, so two years and a couple months process from start to the time that we brought Mia home. And Kazakhstan at the time was a two-trip country. So we traveled there in July of 2010. Uh, we were able to spend almost a month with her. We went through all of the legal process in country for adoption. So, but, and we knew this ahead of time, uh, we would leave while they process paperwork okay. uh, for an undetermined amount of time. They thought it would be six to eight weeks. It was about 12. And then we got a phone call for the return visit. So those 12 weeks in between, you, you talk about the now and the not yet, the longing and the missing of someone that's yeah. part of you but not part of you yet. Th- those were challenging times, and it was wonderful that second trip when we were reunited and then yeah. united as a family. So you talk about the twists and turns. So I assume that what you just mentioned probably would have been the hardest parts of the adoption process. What was it like when you officially got Mia? Yeah, it just was the sweetest, sweetest moment. We tried to, it was funny. So uh, we were going to meet up at an apartment. We had the cameras already. Like we just blew past the cameras, right? Right to the door, just embraced her, brought her in. We had spent almost a month together, so there was a lot of familiarity that was there, but it was just a sweet time. And we spent on that second trip, there was still about another eight days that we spent together before we were to return to the U.S. because they had to process some more paperwork. So it was just wonderful because that second trip, we stayed together. We were in an apartment together. We were a family. It wasn't like she would go back to to an orphanage. So she embraced you from From the the get-go, right? And that's, you know— not everybody has that experience, but I would say one of the sweet, sweetest things of my life is 
the bonding that instantly took place with the three of us as a family. So my last question, I I know you believe this, I, I do as well, but the adoption process is a great mirror of the adoption process that we experience as believers in Christ. Is that your mindset? And how did that motivate you to really want to pursue Mia as Jesus God pursued us. Absolutely. I think I understand it. You know, we talked before about the the rearview mirror. I think yeah. I see it in the rearview mirror of post-adoption. Just inc- I don't read those verses in Ephesians the same anymore, right? Mm. What does it mean to be adopted uh, into God's family? Because it's nothing that I have done. It's what he has done. What does it mean to have all of the riches of Christ Jesus bestowed on me to have my name changed, to have my inheritance, my future. And then you kind of, there's nothing more beautiful, earthly, on this side of heaven, right, than to see that and to experience it as parents of adopting Mia, fully embracing her, that instant bond and love that will never be separated. Yeah, Her name changed, right? right? She's forever in our family. She gains a greater family, grandparents, aunts and uncles, cousins. It just is such a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful picture of the gospel. It is. Was her given name Mia? So that's, uh, it's it's kind of fun. We kept her given name as her middle name. Mia is my wife's first name, and obviously Howells is my last name. So it's kind of a blending of all three. So what's her name? Uh, Mia Alexander Howells. Hey, Kevin, I've really enjoyed sitting down and talking with you. It's just comfortable. It's old time. Thanks for joining me this week on the podcast. Thank you, Mark. It's great to be here. It's always great to be back at Cedarville. It's just driving through the campus. Incredible, the expansion that's taking place. It is. Thank you. Thank you. I want to thank you for listening to the Cedarville Stories podcast brought to you by Cedarville University. You are encouraged to share, like, and review this podcast on your favorite podcast provider. And be sure to come back next week when we'll hear another Cedarville story for God's glory.